morning, everybody. Thank you for inviting me. This is now the sixth time I've shared in, on this series in, uh, in about 12 months. It's been an absolute privilege to share with each one of you. This will be the last message in this series. It's taken over uh, 12 months. Um, I want to start by basically recapping where we've been, um, especially in the last message. But I mean, you may recall that I started by saying that the, the basic theme is that God is demanding a holy church. I said that the context of that is that um, there are certain things happening that God is overturning powers and, and, and authorities in the world in such a way that it is causing consternation and, and worry and, and turmoil in the world, and that in that context we need to keep our eyes on the Lord and focus on the most important things. Um, last week's message, um, I want to start with briefly what, what the, the summary of what we are. I, I gave my my most detailed vision of what I believe God is actually saying and doing in our world at the moment. Uh, basically, the, the, the basic big picture I see is that Western nations, especially the USA and UK, are losing their influence and their power, and that their secret sins are being exposed, and that is challenging Christians who have a, um, who have a nationalistic worldview, because that's part of the problem that I believe God is speaking about, is this... Um, this uh, idolatry that's there in the Western uh, Christianity, which basically sees our nation as being the good guys. Of course, no nation is the good guy. There is good and bad in every culture and every nation, and that's one of the crises that uh, Christians are going to have to face. And in the same way, the secret sins of church leaders are continuing to be exposed. Uh, what, therefore, is happening as a result of this is that uh, Christian culture is going to be demolished the way that things have been done for hundreds of over a thousand years now in our culture, which is basically where we can we can walk comfortably as Christians in our Western world, confident that that our culture supports our faith. Um, this is where we are going to be required to give uh, significantly what we have for Jesus, and as a result, many will fall away from the faith. Many uh, will find it so challenging that their that their faith is not able to cope with that, and they will fall away. But God is looking for a quality church rather than a quantity of church, and that when that remnant that remains has been purified, then, uh, and only then, I believe, will revival sweep our culture. Now, when I look at this vision, one's tempted to think that it's quite a negative vision, and certainly there are challenges involved. But what I want to say is that I would be actually not doing my job correctly if I left it at that, because although there are challenges involved, and I don't want to uh, belittle those challenges, the future is actually quite otherwise. This message is entitled, All Creation is Waiting, and that's a word that God gave me a few months ago when I was sitting in the, con in, um, in the theatre waiting for my son to perform. And God just dropped that word in my heart. He said, tell my people that all of creation is waiting. I'll tell you about what that means in a few moments. But basically, what I'm going to say is that for those who take up the challenge that God is throwing before us at the moment, who take seriously God's demand for holiness, at the current time, there is a future which is so unspeakably glorious, so amazing, not only in the next life, but in this life that you would not believe what is coming. 
So let's pray into that right now. Heavenly Father, we ask you to speak into our lives and, uh, and show us this vision of your future, this, this carrot that you dangle before us to, to walk in obedience to you, Father. Pray that my words might uh, be honouring to you and that our hearts might be open to what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, let's start with Scripture from Romans chapter 8. Scripture that we probably know fairly well, but I've sort of paragraphed it slightly differently the way often it's read. Um, because that's how I think it is, is, uh, is what we are... Oh, that's small writing. I must be getting old if I can't read that. Okay. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 21. As I said, quite a famous passage. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider, says Paul, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Now, you'll notice there, basically uh, expressed in three simple paragraphs, that's, uh, and each of those paragraphs represents one simple point that I'm going to draw out today because I believe God is, is speaking to us. Well, the key verse, um, as you know from, the, the, from the, uh, the text, from the word I said at the beginning that God told me to share, the key verse is that for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. So, see, that's where my, my message comes from. All creation is waiting now, you know, I've been a Christian 40-odd years. I must have read this passage hundreds of hundreds of times, and as maybe many of you have as well. But when God spoke this word to me only a few months ago, it struck me as being a very extraordinary thing to say. A very extraordinary thing to say. I'd never noticed it. If you find that with the word of God, as God speaks into, you, into your life in a, in a new way, something that you've, you've heard. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. That's me, and that's you, the children of God. And when it says a creation is waiting, it's not like, you know, it's not like somebody waiting at a bus stop for a bus that's like, oh, come on, when, when are you going to come? You know, it's not that sort of waiting. It's eager expectation. Uh, the, the best analogy I can think of is, imagine a friend of yours invites you to see a movie with them, and they say, one of your favourite actors is in it, so come along and see the movie with me. And you, and you say, who is it? Who, tell me who it is. I'm not going to tell you, but you come and see it. So you turn up there and you say, I wonder who it's going to be. Is it going to be Tom Cruise? Is it going to be you know, Nicole Kidman? Who, who's it going to be? And, and you're just waiting for the movie to start to see who is going to be the star. 
Well, the message is that we are the stars. We are the stars in the most amazing story that God has planned, the most amazing story that the universe has ever, has ever known. Now, you might say, we are the stars? No, no, no. no. Well, okay, we're second stars. Okay. The number one star, of course, is Jesus, but he's already been revealed, right? The second star, the one that creation is waiting for because it doesn't know yet, it hasn't seen it, are you and me, the children of God. They are waiting expectantly for us to be revealed. They are, creation is waiting because the future of all creation depends upon you and me. Depends upon us. Now let's unpick this passage so we can understand a bit about what's going on here. So, as I said, three paragraphs. Um, I want to talk about the process of glory is what I've called it. So what each of these first three paragraphs is. The first paragraph says simply a very simple point that we have one obligation. As Christians, one obligation. Obligation is a very strong word. It says something that you're obliged or required to do. But there's only one thing. And it's, we actually make Christianity so complicated. But there is only one obligation. Uh, as we read in, uh, in the first paragraph there, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now, I'm going to talk a bit more about what this means in a few moments. But it's very simple. We have an obligation. And that's what we've been talking about for each time I've spoken here. Is God's requiring a holy church. That is our obligation, but it's our only obligation. There's not, you know, we can complicate things so much. It's the only thing God requires of his people. Right. Now, when we take obligation seriously... God has an amazing response. And we read that in the second paragraph. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, God has one natural son, and that's Jesus, right? And we all know what a wonderful person, a perfect person Jesus is, and we love and worship him as rightly we should. But because of the cross, those who submit their lives to him are destined to become just like him. We are destined to be like him. And that's what it means to be the children of God. Our destiny is to be with him for all eternity and like him for all eternity. Perfect in every way, in love, in power, in purity. That is our destiny. And it happens as we take seriously God's call to be like Jesus. Not only are we children, we are heirs. And an heir is somebody who's has an entitlement, an expectation, right? In someone's will or, or uh, you know, like I might be heir to the throne, like you know, King Charles was the heir for so many years before he finally took over the throne. It's, a, it's someone who has an expectation. We have 
an expectation. And that expectation is to share as in our, what we inherit with Jesus. And our entitlement under this air, airdom that we have is that everything that Jesus is entitled to, everything that he won when he died on the cross and rose in glory and God said, I make you Lord of the universe, that is what is our entitlement also because we are in submission to him. Now, how can, how can I possibly understand that? How can any of us possibly comprehend how amazing this is? Third paragraph says that because this is the truth, that we are the linchpin that makes the whole thing work, because of all of this, the whole of creation is champing at the bit to see it happen. It hasn't happened yet. It's happened to us on the inside. Those of us who submitted to Jesus, so our spirits have been made like him, but our flesh, our outer person, is still um, walking in the ways of this world. But that will change, and one day when Jesus returns, it will all be consummated, and we will receive a new body, and we will be the same on the outside as on the inside. And, and, and it says the whole creation will see that, 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 that we are in Christ. And that's what creation is waiting for. Why is the whole creation awaiting? Because we are the ones who, along with Jesus, will rule over creation for all eternity. You know, I, I recently started a series of um, Bible studies for myself. I started studying the, 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 the idea, what does it mean to be a human being? You know, it's based around the theme of uh, Psalm 8, what is mankind that you should love and the son of mankind that you should care for him. You know, I, I discovered that, that uh, we have actually downplayed the role of humanity so much because we focus so much traditionally on the idea that we're sinful and we say we, we need to be kept humble so we keep on putting humanity down. But, you know, the Bible says some amazing things about the role of human beings, that we were created to rule we are created to rule over creation, right? Not only in this age, but in the age to come, right? We are destined to rule. Everything from the, the distant galaxies, which are billions upon billions of light years away, and huge beyond comparison, beyond imagination, right down to the... You know, you get out a microscope, and the, the deeper they go in microscopes, looking at atoms, and, you know, when I was at school, it was just atoms and electrons and protons. Now they've gone down, they, they look deeper, and they can find quarks and mesons and all sorts of other strange things, which I don't even know what they are. But there is so much to creation, and our destiny is to rule, to reign, to manage this whole process, and that's what our job is for all eternity. And in fact, what the scripture says is that for all eternity, we will have a job to do. Each one of us who's been faithful to Jesus will have a job to do in managing the new creation. Um, that job will be consistent with our gifts and abilities, but it will also, the level of seniority we have will depend upon our faithfulness in this life. We see that in some of the parables of Jesus, don't we? You know, that you've been faithful in small matters here, you know, be, be given charge of ten cities and all that sort of thing. So, 
Now, if, if you ever need any, any uh, incentive to serve God in this life, know that your future in eternity depends upon how faithful you are in serving God in this life. You know, never be afraid of putting in the extra yards for what God wants you to do. Okay, let's go to the next slide. The one thing which is, which is important, it all starts with us taking seriously our one obligation. As I said, there's only one obligation that we have, and we have to make sure that we do it. And that's the thing that we have been focusing on in the first few messages of this series. Our destiny is to be like Jesus, right? Therefore, this has to be our only priority. As it says in 1 John 2, 6 there, whoever claims to live in him must live as he did. It's not a choice, it's not an option, it's the, right, the role that we have. There's only one way to live, and that's the way Jesus lived. Our obligation as children of God is to be like Jesus. Now, we can't do that on our own, right? It's patently obvious to me, and I hope it's patently obvious to you, that there's no way in God's heaven that you and I can actually be like Jesus on our own. Therefore, we need to be led by the Spirit, because we can't do it on our own. That's why God has given us the Spirit, so that we can be like Jesus. Jesus was led by the Spirit. How much more do you and I need to be led by the Spirit? You need to be filled and refilled and refilled again until you are full. And once you are full, you'll want to be filled more and more anyway. But it needs to be the Spirit of Jesus. You know, I'm, I'm from way back... Uh, Pentecostal in my experience and in my theology. I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the baptism in the Spirit. I believe in all of these, you know, hand-waving and all that sort of stuff. You know, it's part of my culture, part of my heritage. But, you know, what we need to understand is that being filled with the Spirit has got to be being filled with the Spirit of Jesus and it's got to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not just the Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit. There is a direct link between the gift of the Spirit and the person and character of Jesus. You know, as I said, one of the weaknesses in Pentecostal tradition, and it's not there all the time, it's just uh, visible from time to time, is that Charismatics and Pentecostals are just as prone as anybody else to get distracted by irrelevant issues. The only difference, though, is that they can put a pious front on it and say, oh, the Spirit led me to do this. You know, um, I can see some people smiling, you know what I'm talking about. We need to focus on what it means to be following and possessing the Spirit of Jesus in our life, right? We have to ask ourselves questions, not just, you know, does it feel like it's the Holy Spirit leading me, but is it actually consistent with the character of Jesus? Am I, am I focusing my life on things which Jesus focused on? Am I loving people with all my heart? When a difficult situation arises, am I going the extra mile and laying down my life? That's what Jesus did. 
It's so easy to say, oh, those people, you know, they're possessed by a spirit, so I don't need to worry about them, or, or this group over there, you know, they don't follow my, my beliefs, so, you know, I'll pray against them. No, no, you need to lay down your life for those. That's what Jesus would do, and that's what the Spirit of God is trying to do us, do with us. The challenge through all of this is that if you don't keep on asking yourself the question, what was important to Jesus, and you know what was important to Jesus, loving the outcasts, the poor, the disenfranchised, those who were suffering, they're the ones that were on Jesus' heart, weren't they? So if your focus is not on the things which were important to Jesus, then what you'll end up being is you'll be in danger of uh, majoring, what I call majoring on minors, which I'm sad to say, in my belief, this is the biggest shortcoming of the church uh, worldwide, especially in our Western culture these days, and something we really need to be aware of. You know what I mean by majoring on minors? How we get really uh, passionate about things which actually aren't that important, and the things which really are important, like loving the poor and the needy, laying down your life for people, that gets put in the too hard basket. Why does this happen? Because becoming like Jesus is hard. It costs you something. It costs you something to become like Jesus, to have your inner motive, your inner heart challenged. It is much easier to follow an easier path. You know, the Bible says that we are like sheep. <laughs> Do you ever, ever watched sheep in a paddock? They're pretty stupid. I remember I sat and watched some sheep once and they were walking the line and the first sheep, I don't know whether it was bitten by a fly or whether something imagined, it jumped in the air, it did a little leap. Every other sheep got to that same spot and gave the same little leap. We are like sheep. We need to accept that that's our nature. It's part of what it means to be human. We follow the latest trends. Christians can be following, follow the leader, and that is a temptation which I believe is going to get stronger and stronger as the challenges over the, the, that we talked about in the previous slides and stuff, as they grow stronger, it is going to become much stronger that temptation to play follow the leader, to take on the latest trend. I mean, you know, I remember, I'm, I've been around as Christianity for a long time, I said, you know, was it 30 years ago, it was the laughing trend. Um, before that, it was, um, oh, there's always been apocalyptic trends, you know, the, uh, rock music was evil, that was what it was in the 80s. Uh, it's, it goes on, it, it, there are all these trends which go on, which all of them have a kernel of truth in them. But Christians, get on the bandwagon, don't be someone that majors on minors. Keep your eyes on Jesus, keep your eyes on what he's saying, that he's demanding that we live a holy life, to, that we take seriously our destiny. So what's the conclusion of the matter? Paul was very realistic. Let's have a look at the scripture, which I've got up there. Next slide, yep. The end of chapter 8, Romans says some words, he had a very realistic view. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or danger or hardship or persecution 
or famine or nakedness or sword. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's vision is very realistic. He doesn't say, over all these things we triumph, as if we can somehow wave a magic wand and there won't be any of these things. No, he says, through all these things we overcome. Paul went through all these things. The reason he listed them on his list was that he went through them in his life. And he proved that they were totally irrelevant. He busted through them in the power of God by saying, I don't care what I experience. I am overcoming through these things. And I'm proving through all of these things that my God is stronger through me than any of the powers of darkness. That's the attitude that we need to have. We triumph because Jesus is our example and he went through suffering and death and came out on the resurrection side. I just mentioned briefly something which I think is important. A couple of months ago when I was reading through John chapter 11, you know the story of Lazarus. God gave me a quite strong prophetic word. I believe we are living in the days of the Lazarus church. We are living in the days of the Lazarus church. What do I mean by that? If you read the story closely, Lazarus was sick. And everybody said to him, Lord, Lazarus is sick. Please go and heal him. But Jesus didn't go and heal him. Why? Why didn't he go and heal him? He was waiting for him to die. Mary and Martha, two of his closest friends, both had the same thing. They said, Lord, first thing they said to Jesus, they said, Lord, if only you had been here, Lazarus would not have died. Why did Jesus wait for Lazarus to die? Because there's a fundamental difference between healing and resurrection. Right? If you're sick, let's say with cancer, uh, and some people I know in our church have, have suffered that, your focus for healing is on the thing that makes you sick. You want to get cured of the cancer, so you go through chemotherapy or whatever other therapy is recommended in order that you get healed of that sickness. What you don't worry about is the fact that you might also have diabetes. You might also have uh, overweight problem. You might always have spiritual problems like pride or, or, or other things. You're focusing on the thing you want to be healed of. And I think that is the problem with so much of the Christian church today, is that we look at our world, we see that things are, are, are not working right, as, uh, you know, what's the world coming to, as Roz quoted when she was talking about the Elijah thing, and we focus on the things that we see which are wrong, and God's saying, no, the whole thing has to die. The whole thing has to die so that I can resurrect it. And I believe that's what God is saying. The whole of the church today is that he is waiting for the whole thing to die so that he can resurrect it. And when he does, be part of what God is doing because it's going to be great. It's going to be great. But there are going to be some that won't go that journey. 
So let's go to the challenge. All creation is waiting for the children of God to rise up and take their place as heirs of the universe. Creation is waiting for me, they're waiting for you. They're waiting for you to stand up and take your place. All you have to do is take seriously God's demand for a holy church, no matter what the difficulty, no matter what the cost. You have to give all that you have. We made that clear last week. But God, in response, will give you all he has, the Holy Spirit. I speak especially now to the young people. I guess by definition, anyone younger than me is a young person. That's always the definition. But, you know, I believe that as times get tough, this is going to become very pertinent to many of you. You know, be prepared to give everything you have for the Lord. He will give everything he has for you. Right? The world that you inherit in 20, 30 years' time is going to be a vastly different place to the world we live in today. Don't be scared of that. Don't run from it. Run to it. Because God is with you. And Stand up and take your place as the children of God. Amen.